Historians are often fond of remarking that America, throughout its relatively short history, has been a nation of extremes. It should be no surprise that when it comes to American religion and the effects that it's had on its many followers, that can also be described in the same way. Extreme. Our first real taste of American religious mania came from a faith that had been imported to this country and yet made an impact on American history that's still being felt today. The Puritans arrived in America in 1620, having fled England because of persecution. They in turn came to America so that they could start persecuting others. Anyone that didn't agree with them was worthy of being purified, which is where they earned their self-righteous title. The Puritans who settled in New England ruled their communities through faith. There was no separation between their church and the state. Their faith in the new God influenced all community decisions. If their strict standards were relaxed, it left room for the devil to slip inside. The devil was the enemy. They always had to be vigilant against him. He could claim the souls of anyone at any time. Well, the village of Salem, Massachusetts was settled in 1626. Within four years, the Puritans dominated every aspect of its existence. Life there was brutal. Hard work and prayer took up most of everyone's time. They feared hunger, disease, and Native Americans, and knew the wrath of the new God was punishment for anything that went wrong, whether it was bad weather or an epidemic. The Puritans had a deep-seated terror of the unknown and of what lurked in the thick and unexplored forests around them. In places where the Indians lived, the devil lurked. The uneasiness and anxiety of life in Salem caused the Puritans to turn on those within their ranks. It was the eccentric, the elderly, the unusual, and the different among them that caused their God to punish the entire community. If they wanted things to be better, they needed to purge the community of those who incurred their God's anger. It became convenient to accuse them of being witches and sorcerers who were in a league with the devil. The adults in Salem lived constantly in fear, as did the children who enjoyed very little about growing up. They were to be seen, not heard, and spend their days obeying their elders, doing their chores, and worshiping the God of their parents. They lived the same grim life they would live as adults, learning to farm and hunt, cook and sew, and maintain a home. There was very little else to break the monotony of their days and nights. Not surprisingly, the tedious lives of Puritan children created boredom, especially during the long and dreary winter months. In turn, boredom led to mischief, and that created the Salem witchcraft hysteria of 1692, America's first religious mania that led to horror and death. It was started by several young girls in Salem whose innocent curiosity in something outside their religious faith spun wildly out of control. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to our new season, Woods and Fields, Dark and Wicked, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. We have a long road ahead of us this season, traveling to America's forests, farms, and fields with tales of witchcraft and hexes, cults and curses, calamities and cannibalism, massacres and mysterious disappearances, and more magic mayhem sinners and spirits than we've ever offered before. 
And the strangeness continues with this episode, which we call the devil went down to Salem. And after he did, America would never be the same. The belief in witches who carried out the devil's evil deeds was as real to the Puritans as the constant threat of the devil himself. Witchcraft was against the law in most New England colonies and was punishable by death. And for good reason, it seems. I mean, Puritans believed that witches could ruin your crops, destroy your food supply, kill your livestock, all of which would lead to certain death for a man's family in the harsh and unforgiving wilderness of America. There were other outbreaks of witchcraft in New England in the years before the devil came to call in Salem Village, but none as famous. Salem was unique in some ways, not having the cosmopolitan or well-educated citizens of Boston, which was just 30 miles away. Salem Village was, as one historian put it, a backwater. It was a small rural village with an adult population at the time of only 215 and was plagued by friction and quarrels between various factions, creating enough jealousy, hostility, and a religious fervor to make it the perfect place for an outbreak of witchcraft to occur. Well, the events began, ironically, at the home of Reverend Samuel Paris, a relatively inexperienced but pious and strict Puritan minister. In the Paris household lived the Reverend, his wife, his nine-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, or Betty, who was a quiet and nervous child, and his 11-year-old niece, Abigail Williams, a bold little girl who dominated her younger cousin. Elizabeth and Abigail were fully committed to the Puritan faith with its fear of the devil, demons, and witches. Of the Reverend's wife, we know little, except that she was a devout woman who spent most of her time doing charitable work in the village. Paris had lived for a time in Barbados and had brought back two black slaves to Salem with him, John Indian, who did outside work, and his wife, Tichiba, who cooked and cleaned. The children were mostly cared for by Tichiba, and with idle time on their hands, they were always eager to be entertained with her stories about her island home, culture, and magic. She told fortunes and read palms and showed the girls how to cast harmless spells. The girls were very proud of this secret knowledge, and they boasted about it to some of their older friends. Mary Walcott, Elizabeth Booth, and Susanna Sheldon, and later to several others, including Anne Putnam, the malicious daughter of a neurotic, gossipy mother who was largely responsible for the rumors that later began to spread. Initially, though, the girls all quietly joined Elizabeth and Abigail for stories and demonstrations of fortune-telling. The secret gatherings generated a lot of excitement, but also feelings of fear, guilt, and sinfulness in children who had now gone beyond the boundaries of accepted Puritan faith. The first sign of a serious problem occurred when Elizabeth and Abigail began displaying peculiar behavior. They gazed emptily at the ceiling above and seemed to be experiencing strange muscle contractions, twitches, and fits. Reverend Paris and his wife quickly summoned the village doctor for his advice, but since nothing like what we consider medicine was being practiced in those days, he had no idea what was wrong with them. His conclusion, an evil hand is on them, he announced. To everyone in the village, it was clear the children were victims of witchcraft. 
No one knew what to do for the girls except to pray for them. Reverend Paris summoned several other ministers and they offered sincere and fervent entreaties to their God on behalf of the afflicted girls. But Elizabeth and Abigail seemed to worsen. Their bodies became oddly contorted, then stiffened. Their breathing was labored and they cried loudly, complaining of horrible pains. They suffered fits of dizziness and spells during which they crawled about on all fours and made horrible animal noises. Prayer proved to be of no avail. Accounts stated that the girls screamed as though touched with burning coals and whenever sacred words were said over their bodies. It was clear that they were being bedeviled by witchcraft. But who was working with Satan in Salem Village? Who had bewitched the two girls? Whoever it was, that person had to be found and stopped. The girls were asked who their tormentors were, but no one could get a straight answer from either of them. Mary Walcott's aunt, Mary Sibley, described in one account as a true Puritan busybody, suspected Tichuba, and persuaded the slave to make what was called a witch cake from an old country recipe, consisting of rye meal and the urine of the afflicted children. The idea was that if the family dog ate the cake, made with the urine of the possessed girls, the dog would begin to act as if it were bewitched if the girls were truly under the influence of witchcraft. Well, when Reverend Paris learned of this and accused his daughter of being involved with the making of the cake, she went into such terrible hysterics that he feared she would die. The girls became increasingly frightened and agitated. They knew they were now in a position where they had to identify someone as a witch. They had no choice. Their elders, who could be both intimidating and punishing, insisted on it. So they accused not one, but three local women as those responsible for their suffering. They named Tichuba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne. Why those three? Well, anyone who lived in Salem at the time could understand. Tichuba was easy to explain. Her stories of the occult and magic had started it all. She was also a woman of color, which made her suspicious in the white Puritan backwoods New England community. Sarah Good was a poor, disheveled, homeless woman who roamed the streets begging for shelter for herself and her children. Sarah Osborne's reputation was in question simply because she'd stopped attending church. Well, warrants were issued for the arrest of the three unfortunate women, and they were ordered to present themselves before two magistrates, John Haythorne and Jonathan Corwin. Allegations were being made by Elizabeth and Abigail, as well as eight other girls who were now afflicted by witchcraft. They included the girls who had come to the secret meetings at the Paris home, as well as Ann Putnam, 12, the well-to-do girl from the Salem family, Mercy Lewis, a 17-year-old high-strung Putnam servant, Mary Warren, 20, a servant for the John Proctor family, Elizabeth Booth, 18, Sarah Churchill, a 20-year-old servant for the George Jacobs family, Elizabeth Hubbard, 17, the niece of the doctor's wife, Susanna Shelton, 18, and 17-year-old Mary Walcott, whose father was the parish deacon. The prisoners were allowed no defense counsel. It was enough for a witness to declare that he had seen the shape of the accused riding through the air on a broomstick for his or her word to be believed. It didn't matter how much the poor soul on trial protested the testimony. During the questioning of the afflicted girls, they suddenly fell into convulsions and screamed they were in pain. Their fits and convulsions confirmed what was being said about the accused. When Tichuba was questioned, she maintained her innocence at first. 
then changed her testimony and admitted that she'd had contact with the devil. Some believe that she was beaten into a confession by Reverend Paris, but it's more likely that she was just telling the Puritan judges what they wanted to hear. She confessed to anything she could think of and once started was nearly impossible to stop. She claimed that a tall man had come to her and she had signed the devil's book. Among the other names listed there were those of Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. She'd flown to Sabbaths with the devil, accompanied by a hog, two red cats, and the winged head of a cat that belonged to Sarah Osborne. Sarah Osborne also had a familiar that was a yellow dog and a thing with a head like a woman with two legs and wings. Sarah Good had a yellow bird that served as her familiar. There was yet another demonic entity that walked erect, was covered in hair, and was perhaps two or three feet high. There were also shapes of red and black that beckoned to her. Serve me, they said. She claimed these two shapes had tried to get her to bring them Elizabeth and Abigail, but she'd resisted. The court readily accepted her testimony. It was evident to them that the uneducated slave had been deceived by the devil and was an innocent victim of the witches. Evidence of this was given as Tichuba also became possessed, rolling her eyes, frothing at the mouth, and screaming that she was being attacked by a demon for having spoken out against the forces of darkness. Her husband also got involved in the ruse as he roared, blasphemed, and threw himself onto the floor of the courtroom, also apparently in agony. The court believed that he, too, was another victim of the horror that had come to Salem. Hysteria soon gripped the village. The magistrates had noted that Tichaba said nine marks had been made in the devil's book. Well, that meant there were six other witches in the village. A dozen people came forward, including some who may have honestly believed what they were saying, claiming that they had seen the shapes of others, sticking pens into dolls and taking a diabolical sacrament of red-colored bread and wine mixed with blood. Rebecca Nurse, a formerly respected old woman, was dragged from her sickbed to be charged as a witch. A farmer named John Proctor dared to declare that the girls were liars and that their possessions were self-induced so they could draw attention to themselves. The result of this is that he was arrested as a witch and his property was confiscated before he'd even been tried. When Martha Corey was accused, villagers were shocked. Unlike the dubious reputations of Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichuba, Mrs. Corey was an upstanding member of the community and church. But Mrs. Corey had made a serious error in judgment when witch hysteria gripped Satan. Skeptical of the claim, she neither attended the court appearances of the accused, nor did she want her husband Giles to attend them. Rumors claimed that she was inclined not to believe in the accusations, and they spread through the village. This started further rumors that perhaps Martha Corey was a witch, but for most, this seemed too hard to believe. Before church leaders considered such an allegation, they thought it best to speak with her privately. And that visit went badly. Martha remained skeptical about the goings-on in town and overlooked the fact that those who believed in witchcraft could easily rationalize the idea that even a woman who appeared to be pious could still do the work of the devil. Martha Corey was arrested. The previous day, she'd been in church disregarding the rumors about her because she was certain of her innocence. When taken before the magistrate, she denied that she tormented the girls with witchcraft. If she was not responsible, she was asked, who was? Well, Martha replied, I do not know. How should I know? I am a gospel woman. The afflicted girls who were present immediately screamed, gospel witch, gospel witch. Ann Putnam added that she saw Martha Corey's specter and another woman invoking the devil. 
Martha was quick to reply. We must not believe these distracted children. But the girls showed no signs of calming down. They continued to scream and cry and were sufficiently convincing enough that Martha Corey joined the other accused in jail. The hysteria gained strength in the village. Fire and brimstone sermons, the fear of lurking demons, and wild rumors created a troubled atmosphere in the community. This saw even more people accused of frolicking with the devil. Perhaps the most bizarre and certainly most unjust arrest for practicing witchcraft was that of Dorcas Good, the five-year-old daughter of Sarah Good. In my opinion, this marks the peak of the collective insanity in Salem. At trial, little Dorcas confessed that she, like her mother, was a witch. She told the court that her familiar was a snake that sucked out her blood. As proof, she showed the magistrates a small blister on her hand. That was enough to send her to jail. Meanwhile, John Proctor's wife, Elizabeth, had also been accused and had joined her husband in jail. Rebecca Nurse's sister, Sarah Cloys, was understandably distressed by the accusations made against her sister, knowing they were outrageous and untrue. During a church service, she heard Reverend Paris make a biblical reference that was clearly an implication about Rebecca being in the league with the devil. In a fit of anger, Sarah left the meeting house, banging the door when she exited so that everyone present heard the noise. Any guess as to who the next person was accused of witchcraft? If you say Sarah Cloys, you'd be right. The afflicted girl soon claimed to have witnessed Sarah Specter, and Tichuba's husband, John Indian, alleged that she used sorcery to harm him. In court, though, Sarah stood her ground. When did I hurt thee, she demanded. A great many times, he replied. Sarah snapped, oh, you are a grievous liar. Asked by the judges, the afflicted girls predictably answered that they had witnessed ceremonies in which the devil gave communion to several witches, including Rebecca and Sarah. Hearing the accusation, Sarah collapsed. The afflicted girls reacted by mocking her. The median house burst into a commotion while the girls convulsed into fits and spasms. The reaction of the girls was not an isolated incident. Their behavior did everything possible to unsettle the accused. If the prisoner lifted her eyes, the girls all lifted theirs. If she rubbed her face, the girls did the same. If she coughed, the girls all coughed, and so on. If the prisoner denied the charges brought against her, the girls went into a frenzy, howling and throwing themselves on the floor. Still worse, they became the jury and executioner of the accused. One by one, the girls were carried to the prisoner and she was forced to take each of their hands. If an afflicted girl continued to rave and thrash about, the accused was innocent. But if she became quiet, it was assumed that the accused had removed the demon that had been sent to torture the girl, so she was obviously guilty. Well, the girls had a terrifying effect on not only the trials, but on the people of the village as well. They were constantly seeing shapes all over the place and so unshakable had the belief in them become that at the girl's direction, the villagers stabbed with swords and pitchforks at the empty air where the shapes were supposed to be. People in Salem who feared being accused or cried out, as it was called, began to leave the village. Among them was John Willard, the deputy constable, who had arrested several of the accused witches. In a fit of disgust, he turned on the afflicted girls, accused them of being frauds, and said that they should be hanged for what they'd done. The girls retaliated against him by claiming they'd seen his shape strangling his nephew, a young man who had recently died. 
Willard tried to flee, but was captured and chained up in prison, accused of having witched to death several other people. Around this time, the afflicted girls decided to announce the identity of another prominent witch, the Reverend George Burroughs, who had been a minister in Salem several years before. Even though they were shocked at the idea that a minister could be involved, the magistrates quickly dispatched officers to the parish where Burroughs now lived. They stormed him in his home in the middle of a meal and dragged him back to Salem. To Burroughs' amazement, he was accused of murdering several soldiers who had been killed near his parish while fighting Indians. Not physically, of course, but as a sinister shape, just like the other alleged witches. Interestingly, Burroughs' time in Salem had been unpleasant. He'd had a history of disagreements with many people, but especially with the Putnam family. There was quite a bit of animosity between the Reverend and Anne's parents, which undoubtedly played a large part in the accusations against him. More arrests were made on charges of witchcraft. Bridget Bishop, Abigail Hobbs, Martha Corey's 80-year-old husband Giles, and John Proctor's servant Mary Warren, herself one of the afflicted girls. There were questions about Mary's arrest. She'd been an accuser, so why was she now being charged? Likely, she was badly shaken by the arrest of the Proctors for whom she worked. Her behavior became erratic, and she was now confused about her time as a victim. When the other tormented girls got wind of Mary's doubts, they quickly tried to quiet her loose talk by claiming that she had bewitched them and had signed the devil's book. When she was brought into court, it only took a glance from her to cause the other girls to fall into another round of fits and screams. Mary became emotionally overwhelmed and it wasn't an act. She was genuinely terrified, became so hysterical that she was removed from court and taken to jail. Several weeks later, she admitted to being a witch, but blamed John and Elizabeth Proctor, along with others, for her misfortune. By confessing, Mary probably saved her own life. She was freed and again considered one of the afflicted. Typically, those who confessed to being witches were spared the gallows. Those who maintained their innocence were invariably convicted and condemned to hang. When Bridget Bishop, Abigail Hobbs, and Giles Corey were questioned, both Bishop and Corey insisted they were not guilty of witchcraft, but their pleas were in vain. As soon as the afflicted girls looked at them, the girls fell into outbursts of fits and contortions. Abigail Hobbs, though, confessed to everything, telling the magistrates that she had sold herself body and soul to the old boy. She said that she practiced witchcraft, attended meetings of sorcerers, and drank red wine with red bread. She was jailed along with the others, but during her confession, she implicated nine more people. Arrest warrants were issued for Abigail's parents, William and Deliverance Hobbs, Susanna Martin and Mary Etsy, the sister of Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Cloys. Shaken by her arrest and the questioning that followed, Deliverance Hobbs began to question her own sanity. Could she be a witch and not know it? Rattled and overwhelmed, she confessed to practicing witchcraft and offered the names of other witches in the village. Her husband, William, outraged by the spectacle, insisted that he was innocent of all charges, which of course landed him in jail. Mary Etsy, when questioned, kept control of her emotions, but was also jailed. Susanna Martin, on the other hand, didn't take the courtroom proceedings seriously at all, and even laughed at one point. She doubted the afflicted girls and called them liars. As she was being taken away to jail, she remarked, a false tongue will never make a guilty person. Her matter so impressed officials, they began to believe she was not guilty, and soon Mary was released from jail. 
But her freedom didn't last long. Whether genuinely fearful or just malicious, the afflicted girls grew hysterical, especially Mercy Lewis, whose fits frightened everyone who witnessed them. When she cried out Mary's name, the poor woman was placed back behind bars. Meanwhile, a new governor had arrived from England, Sir William Phipps, and he came to the village with Increase Mather, the father of Cotton Mather, and later president of Harvard University. Mather had been prominent in earlier witch trials in Boston and wanted to see what all the fuss in Salem was about. Governor Phipps, though, didn't really care. He was only interested in getting together a military expedition against the French in Canada. He wanted nothing to do with what was going on in Salem. After decreeing that all those who had been accused of witchcraft be left chained in their cells, he left the business of trying them to the courts. A special court was formed with Deputy Governor William Stoughton as president and six other judges. Whether intentional or not, the fact that judges from a higher court came to Salem elevated the controversy to a new level. This was no longer a matter of village business. The mania became news that gripped the entire Massachusetts colony. The accused were no longer being questioned. They were now going on trial. Bridget Bishop was the first to be brought before the judges. Her position in the community had contributed to her dilemma. She was twice widowed and was the successful proprietor of a local inn. She also stood out in the community for her wearing of brightly colored clothes, which was abhorred by the Puritans who traditionally wore dark, modest clothing. She didn't help her case by appearing in court wearing a lace-trimmed scarlet bodice. When women assigned by the court examined Bridget's body, they found a blemish believed to be a teat or a nipple used by the witches familiar to feed from her breast. She also didn't help herself by stating that she was innocent. Bridget was pronounced guilty and hanged on Gallows Hill on June 10th. During the Salem trials, religious hysteria peaked when the judges began allowing spectral evidence to be admitted in court. This evidence claimed that specters or apparitions of witches tormented and inflicted pain on the innocent, but the specters could only be seen by those who were bewitched. These claims, along with unsupported claims and hearsay, were allowed by the Salem judges. This seems mind-boggling to us today, but in the religious climate of New England in the 17th century, well, it seemed perfectly reasonable. In late June, the fates of Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, Susanna Martin, Sarah Wilds, and Rebecca Nurse were also sealed. Four of them were found guilty and sentenced to hang. Only Rebecca Nurse had been found not guilty. Her good reputation served her well at first. Her numerous friends and family were brave enough to testify on her behalf, and she was found to be not guilty of the crimes for which she was accused. Instantly, the courtroom was plunged into chaos. The girls howled and pulled their hair and rolled around on the floor, screaming that the woman was guilty. Unbelievably, she was brought back into court and the jury was ordered to think things over again. This time they reversed their verdict and she was found guilty. On Tuesday, July 19th, she and the other four women were hanged as witches. Sarah Good's last words proclaimed her innocence, and as the noose was placed around her neck, she rebuked the Reverend Nicholas Noyes, who stood nearby and who had accused her of being a witch. You are a liar, she shouted, and I am no more a witch than you are a wizard. And if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. Eerily, Sarah's prediction came true. Years later, Noyes choked to death on his own blood, 
following a throat hemorrhage. Well, the terror continued to spread. Scores of people were accused and the court continued its travesty of justice. Prisoners who confessed could hope for clemency, but those who denied their guilt were condemned. In July, John Proctor, still in the dismal confines of the jail, wrote to Boston ministers to plead that the witch trials be held in Boston with new judges on the bench. He was certain that the witch hunts were based largely on lies and intimidation. But his letters had little effect. In early August, he and his wife Elizabeth stood trial, as did Reverend George Burroughs and three others. More than 30 people from Ipswich, Massachusetts, where John Proctor once lived, appealed to the judges on his behalf, hoping to save his life. Nearly two dozen neighbors from Salem also offered support, but their efforts were in vain. John and Elizabeth were declared guilty along with the others. Only Elizabeth was spared from being hanged. She was pregnant at the time, and under Puritan law, the killing of her innocent unborn child was forbidden. George Jacobs was convicted on the word of his granddaughter, Margaret. When she had been arrested on witchcraft charges, she had offered his name because she feared being tortured and hanged. Although she later stated in court that her confession had been coerced and that her testimony had been false and untrue, it had no effect on the fate of her grandfather, who was condemned to die on the gallows. The trials and executions continued. In September, 15 more people were sentenced to death. On just one day, September 22nd, eight were hanged, including Martha Corey. Several of the convicted pleaded to the governor, judges, and clergy for clemency, but their appeals fell on deaf ears. Giles Corey, Martha's husband, had also been accused of practicing witchcraft. Although the old man knew he was not guilty, he also understood that if he claimed to be innocent, he'd be convicted anyway. A proud man, he refused to falsely plead guilty just to save his life and satisfy his accusers. So Corey refused to enter a plea at all. In fact, he did not utter a single word in court. Therefore, under Puritan law, he could not be brought to trial. But he paid the price for his bold silence. He was brutally punished and the court made no allowance for his advanced age. He was laid on the ground while heavy stones were placed on him until he was crushed to death under their weight. He lasted for two days of suffering before he finally died. His courage deeply affected the people of the village, as did his composure and refusal to lie. The seeds of doubt had finally been sown in Salem. Following the death sentences of September, the court recessed with plans to reconvene later in the fall, but it never happened. There was a marked shift in the attitude of the villagers about the trials. People were beginning to speak out. Cotton Mather issued a warning about depending on spectral evidence. An influential Boston merchant named Thomas Brattle wrote a letter in which he objected to the way that the Salem trials had been conducted. A magistrate from Salisbury, Robert Pike, wrote that he was skeptical of both what the afflicted girls claimed and the types of highly questionable evidence were permitted to convict someone of witchcraft. He did not doubt the reality of witches, he stated, but suggested the devil was doing his nefarious work through the afflicted, not the witches. Because of this, innocent people were being accused in some instances because the devil was commanding the afflicted to falsely blame the righteous. But it was Governor Phipps who finally put the whole thing to an end. He returned from the Canadian border and was shocked to find that more than 150 people were still chained up in jail, waiting to be put on trial for witchcraft. He was dismayed that his special court had not found a solution to the problem. It seemed to have made things worse. In October, he ordered that no one else would be jailed except in extreme cases. 
He also decreed that in the future, spectral evidence would not be admissible in his courts. This made trying the other defendants nearly impossible, but laws had to be followed. Those that remained in jail finally had their day in court in January 1693. There were 52 people brought to trial and three were convicted who confessed to witchcraft. All but those three were set free. The confessors were sentenced to hang. But the royal attorney general ruled the evidence against those to be hanged was insufficient and Governor Phipps commuted their sentences. This meant the Salem witch hysteria had finally come to an end. By the spring of 1693, the witch hunts were over, but the acrimony that they created between villagers would linger for years. The accusations, harsh words, and bitter memories created permanent rifts between former friends and neighbors. Many of those who fled Salem during the hysteria chose to never return. Once public sentiment shifted away from the afflicted girls, they withdrew from sight. Only Anne Putnam publicly admitted the wrong that she'd taken part in. In 1706, she requested to be allowed back as a member of the church in Salem Village, and Reverend Green read her apology from the pulpit. In the spirit of healing, she was forgiven and allowed to return to church, but not all were forgiven. Many were angered at Reverend Paris for his rush in demanding that the children accuse others of supposedly bewitching them. The most furious were, of course, the relatives of those jailed, tortured, and executed. Paris was forced to leave Salem in 1697, and he never returned. Eventually, most people came to realize that Salem insanity was a deception instigated by fear and religious extremism. Throughout the Massachusetts colony, the date of January 4, 1797, was set aside as a day of fasting and prayer to ask God's forgiveness for the tragedy of the witch trials. One of the judges, Samuel Sewell, wrote a letter that his minister read to the congregation. Sewell acknowledged his terrible mistake when he condemned innocent people to death. All he could do now, he wrote, was plead for absolution from his God and his fellow men and women. Also on that same day, former trial jurors admitted their mistakes, especially in believing that spectral evidence was sufficient to send someone to the gallows. They begged for forgiveness and deeply apologized, saying they'd fallen under the power of a strong delusion. But no number of apologies could erase the damage that had been done. In all, 20 innocents went to their death, 19 of them hanged and one crushed. Dozens and dozens had been jailed of those accused 50 confessed to being witches, likely under the threat of torture. Several died in jail, undoubtedly from the deplorable conditions. And then there was little Dorcas Good, the five-year-old sent to jail as a witch. She nearly went insane from her experiences and the subsequent trauma. She remained mentally ill for the rest of her life. A weak apology was an inadequate gesture considering the horror that occurred. What happened in that small New England village? Experts have blamed fraud, class conflict, village factions fighting one another, sexual repression, accidental poisoning, hysteria, actual witchcraft, and of course, religious extremism. Likely no one explanation will suffice. It was probably a combination of several things, but there's no doubt that the religious mania of the Puritans was the leading cause. If not for their willingness to blame the devil for every illness, crop failure, and storm that occurred in and around the village, the witch hunts probably never would have occurred at all. Salem, and much of New England, 
had teetered on the edge of madness and had permanently changed the way that Americans would think about witchcraft and folk magic. The events of 1692 cast a shadow over the history of the country and it influenced the opinions and fears of witches for centuries to come. Because even after Salem, the very idea of witches would continue to lead to murder, mayhem, lynch mobs, unsolved murders, and more, as we'll see in our episodes to come. shocked her on the top, like right on the top of her head when I touched her. I was like, ooh, sorry. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Yes. Good to go. Ready. Okay. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings Podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in season six of the podcast, Woods and Fields. Dark and wicked. There. I was trying to give you some atmosphere. Yeah, the ambiance. Oh, I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, as you've already Happy heard, does it better. is my co-host, <laughs> author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, <laughs> Troy Taylor. Hey, how are you, buddy? Oh, I'm good. It's been a long time. 20 minutes. Probably. <laughs> don't tell people that. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to remember. We don't tell people how we make the I sausage. Know, I know. Okay, so we recorded two episodes at once. Which we haven't done in a long time. No, we haven't. Well, it just because you were going to be gone and we got dead of winter coming up. Yeah. And, and so we just, we thought, we'd, let's just get them, get two of them done. And they were all on a similar theme. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like it makes sense. completely opposite. So I'm also, was, I'm yeah. not going to be gone anymore, by the way, because uh, well. they, they canceled the show because of COVID stuff. Uh, really? And sure. I was like, that makes sense. But I was sad. I was yeah. going to go to Chicago. I was going to see my, one of my favorite well, podcasts. Well, weird because I thought they were letting us doing stuff up I think there as long as you had, you know, vaccine. They are. I think, I don't know if it Must was. Part- maybe it's the I don't the know. People. I, I think it was the podcast. Yeah. Um, it's called Doughboys. It's a, a podcast about chain restaurants oh that's right i which, remember which i love but that. yeah but yes. they canceled it so i was sad but well, that's um, too bad yeah and but that also seems like a low risk setting it's not like it's a concert yeah, people well, screaming and shit yeah have you seen okay have you seen the um flyers by the way people this uh-huh. would be old news by the for the when we were young festival oh yes i have because it, it yeah. just exploded it it's yeah. got to be Fire Festival number two. Like, there's no way they have sixty something bands, twelve hours, three stages. I can't. This is bullshit. Did you see the ticket prices? Yes. Yeah. And they how they said, oh, they and start at twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah. They said they twenty dollars. They said they start at twenty. That was to Whoa. hold your space to then oh, order to buy a ticket. But they marked it the that tickets way. were two hundred and fifty dollars a yes. person. And then check it out. Not even the VIP. Those were five hundred. They they sold out so quickly. They decided we're going to add an additional day and instead of split up the bands they said we're going to do the exact same thing saturday and sunday and oh, first wow. off how do you know all the bands are going to be available for both the, it's bullshit uh, yeah it, this I don't festival know. I'm, happens I'm very i'm very I'm when i saw the lineup for it and i thought well okay so you know i know what happens believe me i've, I've watched this happen through each generation okay you know when when you know the baby boomers were 
had a lot of money mm-hmm. they'd started bringing back 60s bands uh-huh. and 70s nostalgia bands. and then you know with my generation it was the 80s we had all this 80s stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, guys who now desperately need money were sure. out on tour and then you know now we're getting into like emo bands and stuff because, hell yes because people have gotten to the the emo kids are now now we have money adults with money <laughs> and now they can spend the money and these bands are not popular anymore no. except with you know, in the past, why are we talking about this? I, I have no idea. But anyway, things uh, going but on. so, but speaking of festivals, we're having ours. We are this weekend. It's so, so close. This Saturday, uh, February the twelfth is Dead of Winter. Um, it is our annual food drive, and it will be at the Mineral Springs Hotel in downtown Alton. Um, it starts at ten o'clock, lasts until four. It's absolutely free to come. Uh, the only thing that you have to do to get in for free is to bring a canned good or non-perishable item of any kind to benefit local food banks. This is something we do every winter uh, for the food banks to kind of bolster them to get them through the rest of the winter. And we we do collect a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. We have great people who, you know, who follow the pages, who listen to the show, and uh, they 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 really turn out. You know, with canned goods. Paper towels, light bulbs, toilet paper, anything like that can be used. Feminine products too. I yes, think something yes, always we desperately should, needed. Um, anything like that, uh, they it can be used. Mm-hmm. Um, even even cash, we can give cash to the food bank if you don't have food items around or whatever. We'll do whatever um, to make sure that they get this stuff. Up. A buddy of mine who is a, a small brewer over in St. Louis, Ryan. Um, he got all the beer clubs in St. Louis, and they've got a ton of stuff they donated that Ryan collected. He's going to bring over. Is it a bunch of beer? No, it's not beer, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it is food items. So, uh, but yeah, so it's um, you know people get into this thing, and mm-hmm. it's it's been really fun every year, and it's a great event. I mean, we've got you know great speakers coming in, and like I said, it's absolutely free. Cody and I are going to kick things off uh, with a, a live episode of the podcast, our hundredth episode of the podcast. Can so, you believe it? As you have heard in some of our past recent episodes, we are asking you to send in questions, reviews, uh, anything you want to uh, for us to feature on the show. We are also, um, if you would like to be the podcast listener of the year, uh, we've decided to start that. We're going to do it every year for Dead of Winter. If you think you are the podcast listener of the year, tell us why. Send it in. Send it to um, American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Cody will get it. Uh, and then we will we'll choose from the different entries and someone will win the award you get burned the at the claim uh, <laughs> of um, being podcast listener of the year, which doesn't seem like a no winning. It's thing, a trophy. I, mean, I don't I, want. I know, but someone might. Someone, someone might. probably likes it. I've, so. I've also decided on the spot. I haven't talked to Troy about this at all. But if you <laughs> if you come with some donation that's like a ridiculous amount of stuff, I and you tell me, and it's ridiculous enough. And by ridiculous, I mean like an abundance or a lot of things. I'm gonna give you like a a shirt or a book or okay, something. Cool. You know, I, I should have set a bar and been like, it has to be that. I don't know. If you do something crazy enough that helps yeah. enough people, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna hook you up. That's fair. With something. That's fair. I don't know Sounds what it good. is. But well, figure it out. We'll so. figure. We'll just. We're just. Yeah. I mean, improv. really, this episode, the, the episode we're doing, is a bit on the fly. Anyway, yeah. Uh, we're gonna try to get as much stuff together as we can. So, uh, if you're hearing this, if you're gonna send us something, please send it like today. Yes, please. <laughs> really quick, because we don't have much time to get things together for this weekend. We really uh, don't. Because yeah, we'll be. I'll be down here Friday getting everything set up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. Um, we don't have a lot of time. So get back to us quick. So. Yes, and you but know anyway, I'm gonna be fun. But come see us. 
uh, come see us at Dead of Winter. Um, it's going to be a great day. It always is, always a lot of fun. And uh, we actually have extra, we have a completely separate vendor's room this year. We got a snack bar, we got a coffee shop. Uh, we've got double the amount of chairs we've ever had. Uh, so it's, um, it's, it's really come together nicely this year. We're my, excited about my it. favorite thing is every year I send both my parents a picture of the crowd, um, when we do our live show, yeah. because they don't know what I do. Right. They don't understand it. And I'm like, look, mom, are you yeah. proud of me yeah. yet? And yeah. every year she says, no, I don't no, get it. I don't get it. But so. uh, it's not going to stop me yeah. from trying, but trying. So, well, AmericanHaunties.net um, will get you to information well about everything, but dead of winter is at the top of the page. Uh, it will be there. So you can click on that, get more information. Uh, if you get a chance, go on over to dinnerandspirits.com too. If you're looking for something else to do in the winter, while not free, still lots of fun. Uh, we do have dinner events coming up, river road tours. Um, in fact, I'm doing a river road tour tonight, sold out. So, nice. Yeah, so it'll be fun. It's going to be a good night for it. So That's yeah, awesome. anyway, check that stuff out. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys this winter because it's uh, way too long to wait till next October before you see you again. So. That's, it's not, <laughs> October 2022 yeah. is not even a real month. Yeah. That's not, that's not <laughs> yeah, a thing. It's too far off. Uh, let's talk about some listener reviews. Okay. We've had some some positive feedback, which is nice. About um, this season or just in general? In general? Oh, so we're still, we well, it's a little early. We it's just still, got going on this season, and it takes a little while even if people put stuff up. It does. Honestly, so, but, I'll take whatever I can get. I know, but I'm, I'm point, curious to hear what people think about yeah, the season. So. Yeah, because we've said time and time again, if you don't like the season... I'm sorry. We're not going to change it. <laughs> yeah, we're still going to do it. So I'm sorry. But, but it's nice to know. But there's going to be a lot of stuff this season. So be there's a, a lot of things to choose from. Don't it's like be witches. Weird. Just wait. There'll be cannibalism later. So, yes. You know, it's all kinds of stuff. Pick you your poison, know. you weirdo. Yeah. yeah. Um, this review comes to us from Polaris Brick. Um, Polaris, I believe, is the name of the North Star for all you nerds out there. Don't understand what the name means. But anyway, um, it's titled... You can't figure those out. It's titled... Well, I'm just happy I can pronounce this okay. one. Um, this one's titled New Favorite. It says, absolutely love the historical research. The New Orleans Axeman blew me away. This podcast is a must listen. So nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, again, iTunes is, is where things happen it's it's what really helps us out um and i just love the fact that like our small show has so many reviews you yeah, know? yeah so thank you yeah um you ready to dive in sure yeah absolutely i've titled this first section religion fucked us up <laughs> so puritans came here to escape persecution yeah, but we ended talked up about that since last season last persecuting episode. others yes. the devil is the enemy Salem, Massachusetts settled in 1626. The Puritans dominate it within four years. Mm -hmm. Just take over. And you talked, show. you talked about, um, it's no separation church and state. No, it's all no, no. one kind of thing. Devils everywhere. Exactly. Wait you said, to get you. You said, uh, boredom led to mischief and that created the Salem witchcraft hysteria of 1692, which is why, I mean, I always say idle hands, the devil's playpen kind of thing. <laughs> I, I, and also I get into the most trouble when I'm bored, you know, when yeah, I don't well, have things to exactly. do. Um, also we do a lot of devil went down to stuff know. you know? know well i just thought that he's everywhere i mean i did the devil came to st louis but i didn't want to say the devil came down to st louis but this one kind of just fit with the song yeah no I no it's perfect just, i try to be a little bit silly with the titles if i can <laughs> right no i know i love it uh, i just noticed it's a common theme he's, he's like yeah. lincoln he's everywhere yeah. you know yeah, exactly he's all over the place. uh witchcraft as we talked about it's punishable by death in new england let's talk about um, I guess for America, probably the most infamous. Oh, definitely. Case of yeah, no this is definitely this is the this is the pinnacle of 
witchcraft mania mm-hmm. in this country. And it really, it didn't come to an end after this, but it, this was the peak. Mm-hmm. This was definitely the worst thing that happened. Definitely the greatest body count okay. for sure. I mean, 20 people yeah, out of 215 people in this town. Yeah. Um, 20 people went to the gallows. That's a hell of a lot. I, well, I, I, tw- 19 people went to the gallows. One, the, the one guy got a bunch of rocks piled. Right, 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 right. So, Which yeah. again, we talked about earlier. How would you want to die? Really I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why in my head, I guess I just would have assumed it was a lot more people, but then also when you talk well, about the size of the dozens town, of people in, in jail, sure, sitting sure. rotting in jail for months, you know, waiting on their trial to take place. But eventually there were 20 people who were executed. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And so but still, that's the biggest body count in American history when it comes to witches. Right, so. right, right. And uh, uh, so whatever. <laughs> when it comes, yeah, yeah. 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 Quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a real witch would never be caught. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, Salem. So, uh, 30 miles from Boston, a backwater village at that point. Um, I've never been, I've seen it yeah. portrayed it's in fun. a lot of movies. It's a fun place to go. Is it mm-hmm. like what I think? Is it hocus pocusy? Is it all New Englandy? I mean, it's a little, I mean, yes, there is that there is a, there is a, it's a very New Englandy kind of town like Hocus Pocus, but it's also very, um, very tourist aware. Oh, sure. You know, Why the not? House Cash of Seven in. Gables is there. Um, you know, the Nathaniel Hawthorne book, that house is there. Edward Gorey's house is there, which is definitely worth visiting. Yep. It has nothing to do with witchcraft. Just, I love Edward Gorey. Um, but there's a lot of witch stuff. Who's, I mean, who's Edward Gorey? Oh, uh, it's an illustrator. Oh, okay. Um, I could show you if you recognize that. Do you ever watch mystery on PBS? Did you ever see any of the opening mm, scenes? I don't of think all so. All the, the very Victorian looking characters. Oh, okay. Um, I'll find some for you. And, so, and then you'll recognize, you'll recognize it when Got you it. see it. Uh, he's just did a lot of illustrations uh, before he passed away. Uh, but his house's museum is there, but. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, it was a whaling village. I mean, there's a lot of things to see, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of witchcraft stuff. I mean, it's it's become like the witch capital of the United States sure. because, you know, here were people who were unfairly, you know, targeted as witches and weren't. And now people who now, you know, identify as witches have kind of taken up the cause. Mm-hmm. And there are tours and, you know, it's it's what you would expect. It's it's touristy, but it's it's... I think it's done pretty respectfully, honestly. Interesting. Um, there are definitely worth pl- worse places that have taken things and 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 run them into the ground. For <laughs> Roswell. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, this is um, it's a nice place to visit. It really is a cool place. Nice. Okay. Um, events begin at the home of Reverend Samuel. Is it Paris? Paris. Mm-hmm. Paris. So he has a, a wife and two girls living in the house: Elizabeth, Betty, for whatever reason, nine, mm-hmm. and Abigail, eleven, which is his niece. Uh, he had lived in Barbados for a bit, brought back two uh, black slaves with him, John Indian and Tichaba. Tichaba, uh, who taught the daughters of the house some like kind of cute spells. Is what I kind of yeah. I mean, she, you know, I mean, she came from Barbados, and there was a lot of it's it's folk magic. It's just a a different brand, branch of folk magic. Right. It's more in the probably more like voodoo, which we talked about extensively in our New Orleans season, yep. you know, more of a religious faith than it is, a, you know, some kind of magical powers kind of thing. And I don't think she ever, I mean, these were little things. They were cute little things. And she tells stories and, and folk tales and legends and things. And um, she should have known better. These kids. She should have known better their... with not only these kids, but as it turned out, these kids were awful um but she should have known better in the climate of the village Mm -hmm. um when you've got the kind of people and she's living in a minister's house 
she should have known better. Right. But, you know, she probably felt comfortable there. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, she's a slave, but you have to assume she probably wasn't horribly treated. Um, but I mean, you're still relatively speaking. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, so she probably felt comfortable enough doing it and thought that the girls were sworn to secrecy and that never works they, with 11 and 14 year old girls. No, hell no. Know, I don't even tell my friend stuff know. now and I'm in my thirties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. they tell their older friends stuff escalates. Um, Elizabeth and Abigail start experiencing weird behavior. A doctor's like, it's the devil. Uh, yeah, Got, of course it is. Gotta be the yeah, devil. Gotta be witchcraft. They, gotta be a witch in the village who's causing them to act this way. Who's causing the devil to come and make them act this way. Yes. They, they start to become contorted. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit last time, but now I was going to bring it up again. So much pee stuff. Yeah, lots of stuff about urine. They got to make the cake. And the all witch that. cake. That's just very weird. With urine for the dog. Well, at least dog. they were feeding it to the dog and not like, you know, know. the kids or something. I <laughs> guess. I mean, you know, I it's still really gross. No, no, I like you know, it's really most, gross. If you, I like more dogs I've met than small children, but I get, I get what you mean. <laughs> yeah. The girls accuse three women of witchcraft. Those women are arrested. And I'm curious, like at this point, can, can anybody just be sick? Can bad things just happen? And, not, and, not when you're... A Puritan in New England. In there's always a reason. Yeah, there's always a reason. And in this particular case, I mean, it was easy. They, they were easy targets. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tichaba, who is a black slave, and she started it all, so it's obviously her fault. Of course. And, you know, then you've got, you know, a woman who... The Sarahs. You know, was a homeless woman. You've got a woman who stopped going to church, so that had caused a scandal. So that's easy. Mm -hmm. And these girls were faking the whole thing anyway right. for attention. And it, it, they were faking it for attention, and it got out of hand. Yeah. I mean, it got, it, they got in so deep that if they had suddenly admitted, as that one girl did, it started to go, wait a minute, this is going oh, too on. far. And then suddenly the other girl's afraid they're going to get in trouble, start accusing her of being a witch. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it got to the point where a little harmless fun became much more serious. I mean, they were pushed into finding someone. I think this thing probably would have blown over if, if Reverend Paris hadn't pushed the girls into naming the witches in the community. Mm -hmm. And then they felt they had to. Because if they didn't, they'd end up being right. Witches. Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah. yeah we, that's we, exactly what it was. And I think that's that's how it got started. And now suddenly, you had other girls who had also been there. And we'll never know. We'll never know what was said or done behind closed doors and in private. I mean, these people had. You know, we can tell this story, and no matter how detailed this story is, we don't know the ins and outs of it. Mm -hmm. We're never going to know what was said, what was people were thinking. We weren't there. There's there's no way we can ever know. But the fact that more girls joined in on this, whether was it for more attention or were they afraid that since it was found out they were there too, they were going to get named as witches right. if they didn't participate and be the afflicted girls as they started calling them. Mm -hmm. That's that would be my thought, and that's the reason they jumped in out of terror. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, they accuse a bunch of people, and you you mentioned this. We did, we talked a little bit about trials and stuff, and I'm curious about the process. We so, so even in the trials that we mentioned before, were those people also not allowed a defense counsel? How did how does that work? Well, I don't think they're. I mean, I don't believe that. As far as I I've been able to tell, that they don't even have defense counsel. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So I mean, like you're just because at this point you're not. You're only being accused. The uh, trials wouldn't start until later. Do the, they have these to... are the accusations. They're bringing people in, and in this case, they're bringing them in and putting them on display mm -hmm. in front of these girls and letting the girls tell them who's 
a witch and who's not. Right. You know, I mean, that's how things were going at the time. And they were picking people that they had an issue with or that their parents had an issue with. I mean, they called that one guy back from another town because they decided that he was a witch. Interestingly, one of the girl's parents had had a falling out with him. Mm -hmm. So it was just find anybody that you could. Right. You know, and... Um, so at this point, that's that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. The girls were saying, oh, well, I've seen her, you know, riding through the air on a broomstick. I've seen, you know, and and people just believe them because that's what religious fanaticism will do for you. Yeah. You'll believe anything. And that's exactly what they were doing. It's the only time they would believe a child, I bet, too. Yeah, exactly. But they also they needed nine witches because right. of that. Oh, yeah, testimony. because of the book. Well, Tichaba who then starts confessing and wouldn't shut up. Yeah. Well, she thought she was saving her life. Sure. I'm sure. I would do the That's same thing. That's what she was doing. I would do the exact and same thing. And so she makes the mistake of saying that, that she had, uh, you know, had signed the devil's book and that there had been, you know, six other names there besides hers and, and the two Sarah's. And so now we got to find, we got to find six more witches. We got a quota. We yeah. got to hit yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It is a quota. We got to get it. Yeah. Uh, is it Dorcas Good? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that poor name. thing. Five-year-old daughter of Sarah Good is arrested. You said this was the peak of collective insanity. insanity. It is. She's it is. five I mean, years she old. She was five years old. And come on. But of course she's going to confess. She's terrified. And she's And five. her mother is, her mother is already in jail. And, you know, she thinks that that's what she should do. So she says, oh, yeah, I'm a witch. She's five. She's five. Right. You know. She might be like, five, maybe I'm a witch. Five, I don't know. Kids I'm hang out with purple dinosaurs. Right. So, I mean, it's not, that's not logical. No, no. I mean, that you, you suddenly decide that, you know, because she has a blister on her hand that, you know, that her familiar was a snake that bit her. And it's like, and they throw her in jail. She's five. She's fucking five. And never recovers. Oh, well, I mean, how could you? No, Jeez. she never recovers. She spent the rest of her life mentally ill. The trauma from this yeah. thing just was too much. Ah. So. The girls keep going on with their bullshit and get more yeah. people involved. Uh, you said the girls had a terrifying effect on not only the trials, but on the people of the village as well. John Willard, he called out the girls, but then he's arrested. Yeah. Others are arrested due to the girls calling them out. He said typically those who confessed to being witches were spared the gallows. Those who maintained their innocence were invariably convicted and condemned to hang. So we talked about last time. It's like probably just be like, Look, if I just confess now, right. maybe I get can ahead survive. Of it, try to get yeah. ahead of it. Yeah. Which I mean, I I probably would, you know, I think in that I situation. Know, I, I I don't know what do you do? You know, that's that's the thing. What what do you even do here? Yeah. And, you know, you're in a situation where I mean, it it was out of control. And these were these were the authorities, these were the people who ran everything. And if you went against them, you were a witch. Yeah. And you were going to end up sitting in jail waiting for your trial, just like everybody else. And, you know, the, and I they, mean, ridiculous people. I mean, an 80-year-old, you know, Martha Corey's 80-year-old husband, Giles, hauled into jail. I mean, just because he stood up for his wife. That's mm -hmm. the only reason. Yeah. Uh, because he said, well, she couldn't possibly be a witch. And that's how he ends up in jail himself and would end up dying because he defended his wife, not because he'd done anything else. Yeah. You know? He's like, I know that lady. She doesn't do shit. No kidding. And you're right? telling yeah. me she's yeah. a witch. Um, yeah. And they do go on trial. So Bridget Bishop is hanged. Uh, this is when they start allowing spectral claims. Uh -huh. the, the spectral evidence, just because there were, you know, they would say that the, the ghosts or the spirits uh, that the witches would send specters in the shape of their familiars were just specters to 
you know, bedevil people and only, only the witches could see it, you know? So even if you, all you had to say is all you do is walk around and pretend like you're swatting something yeah, on yeah. your head and you're being attacked by one of these specters and that was okay. And they started allowing that in trial right now. Right. I mean, at first now, remember this is at the point where, uh, the governor comes through and says, um, you know, I'm well, first, uh, Cotton Mather's father was there and who wanted to see what was going on. And the governor came with him and could give a shit less what was going on. He was on his way to Canada. Right. Uh, but he just said that, well, anybody that's accused that just leave him behind and we'll the court will be the court will take care of it. So he sends in, you know, his special court, you know, his judges. And that's when they're like, oh, yeah, spectral evidence. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Why not? And then he comes back through and is like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I mean, that is literally, I can, I can just picture. I, mean, I leave I'm you sure guys alone say for that. 10 minutes. I know. I'm sure he didn't say that. But he comes back later and he's like, okay, I thought we could clear this up. <laughs> I have you a know? war going yeah, on. Yeah, now it's worse. You know, God. It reminds me of, a, there's a Family Guy skit when Peter Griffin's on trial. And he goes, I'd like to call in my friend, the ghost who never lies. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. but I'm the only one who can hear and see what he's doing so I'll have to tell everybody what's going on and the opposing counsel's like objection and the judge goes he goes I'll allow it you better be going somewhere with this Griffin <laughs> and it's it's a great little skip but yeah it's just it's so fucking dumb yeah it's just crazy I mean this is crazy but again this is what fanaticism will do for you right so. and then five more women hanged um, after a reversed reversed verdict for Rebecca Nurse uh, John John Proctor thinks these might be witch hunts yeah no shit yeah you think yeah, yeah. Um, on just one day September 22nd eight people are hung but I like it though with Rebecca Nurse though they, they found her not guilty and then she they let her go they complained and then the, since the girls freaked out uh, they brought her back and the judge said listen we, we need you to think about this a little bit more can you even believe that God. I mean you have to, you, I mean, you know, you could say, well, you can't try somebody twice for the same thing. Well, you could then. Yeah, no, it wasn't, no we double jeopardy. Any, there was no protections back then. So, but I like the, when Sarah Good went to the gallows though, and she told that reverend that he was a liar and that she was no more a witch than he was a wizard. And if she, if he killed her, that God would give him blood to drink. Yeah. That is a true story. That's a He really line. did die from a throat hemorrhage. Yeah, which that, is, that's amazing. That's pretty creepy. And I feel like know. that's also like the premise of like some horror movies we've watched. Oh, pretty yeah, much. absolutely. And you know what? Let him come back. You I know, know, at right? that point, like, why not? Yeah, I wouldn't blame him. They should, you know, there's no reason they couldn't come back for revenge. Right. Like you said, Governor Phipps finally finally puts an end to all this bullshit. By spring 1693, the witch hunts are over. Well, after, you know, after they crushed poor Giles. Yeah. I know we talked about that last time, but God. Yeah, I know. I mean, and he hung on 80 years old. And now listen, 80 years old, I mean, that's old anyway. It's old now. Yeah, yeah. But 80 years old in 1692, that was a hard fucking 80 years. He might as well have been 200. Like, yeah. He's so, the I mean, oldest person dude, they knew. I mean, I know he was a farmer and everything, so he probably kept in pretty good shape. He had that farmer strength. Stuff, but man, he's 80 years old and they're crushing him under rocks. Yeah. And it took him two days to die. That's, Can you yeah. imagine? No. It's if you go miserable. to the Salem graveyard, they've got a memorial set up there for all of the all of the, the people who were executed, but there's a big rock, which I think is bad taste. Well, but, it's like how we have you know, crosses hanging know, up everywhere for Jesus. Yeah, he, he, there's a big rock there with, with Giles Corey's name on it. Gosh, I wonder, I'm guessing 
Do you die from like suffocation? Not being able to breathe. Maybe your bones finally break. You're, yeah, he dude's eighty. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure Shouldn't they executed take, other people. It was that four way, pounds of rock, but that's a lot. That's a lot of rocks. <laughs> that's a lot of rocks. God. Sorry, I shouldn't disrespect it. I'm sure I, it was no, a shit. No, I mean ton. it's awful. I mean it really is awful. But yeah, I'm sorry, and I interrupt you. No, Governor Phipps comes back and goes, "What the no, fuck, no, you're man?" Why, so God. wait, but so why why that method of death for him? But well, because he just, wouldn't because he wouldn't um, wasn't just he hanging, wouldn't say anything. But isn't oh what we're right. So it wasn't it wasn't an execution as much as it was to try to get him to confess <laughs> but if he happened to but die. he refused to speak because he knew if he said he was innocent they'd hang him but uh. he knew that i mean they couldn't they couldn't give him they couldn't hang him if he refused to speak uh-huh. so um if he wouldn't he couldn't be brought to trial under puritan law right. so it, at his trial he just refused to say anything <laughs> so it was an and interrogation so they, method so they punished him right they punished him by piling rocks on top of him and that's how he died well so you know what okay never mind he's a badass and i take back yeah no kidding oh, i mean oh seriously God. i mean like i said the dude was 80 years old and that's that's some stamina Hell yeah. Two days worth of rocks. I, like I said, 45 minutes in 59 degree weather. And I'm telling you, whatever you want to <laughs> yeah, hear. Yeah, no kidding. Right? Um, it said eventually most people came to realize that the Salem insanity was a deception instigated by fear and religious extremism. Throughout the Massachusetts colony, the date January 4th, 1797, was set aside as a day of fasting and prayer to ask God's forgiveness for the tragedy of the witch trials. <laughs> yeah, whatever. God. Like, I know. <laughs> like and everybody's bad. showing up going, oh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And gee, and they decided they wouldn't allow any more spectral evidence. Oh, right. who would have thought? Who would have thought? But it was such a such a great way of doing things. I don't know why that was a problem. So we, we touched on this a little bit, but this is kind of the end of my my questions here. But so why did all this happen? And I had heard back in the day people talked about, oh, maybe they um were eating bread that had yeah, mold that, and they I were know. tripping. And they were tripping. And I there's so many things. I mean, there's you know, I, I listed a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, there were, there were, and I think a lot of this is, is relevant. Uh, you know, the factions fighting against one another, you know, hysteria. Uh, I don't think there was any actual witchcraft. There was definitely religious extremism. So mm-hmm. it was probably several things combined yeah. that caused this to happen. But let's be honest, people look at Salem in a nutshell, I mean, as a, as a one, one incident and say, oh, well, why did this happen here? And it's been going on for, you know, at this point, it had been going on for almost 75 years. It was years. a buildup, yeah. You know, it had been building to this. It had to end at some point here. Yeah. And it had been building toward this all that time. Yeah. And I think that um, something like this, unfortunately, had to happen to make it stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it didn't stop completely. Uh, I, You know, as I hinted at the end of the episode, there's going to be a little bit more on witches. Uh, we've got another episode of witches and this is a, a lot different one um, because we're going to be looking at a lot of different things here and a lot of fears and lynchings and uh, stuff that goes further beyond what most people accept as the witchcraft mania. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond that. Sure. So things didn't stop completely for a long time. Just makes me think about how from the ages of five to 13, at least twice a week, I went to a ceremony where they said, you are drinking the literal blood of this I know. man. I know. And, but that's not weird. But that's not weird. No, no, no. This There's other a, shit. You can say that weird. about a lot of things. I, I don't, I don't, anybody's religion is, I, is, they're welcome to it. I, I'm, I'm fine. As long as you don't whatever, hurt anybody. As long as you don't hurt anybody, I don't care what you're doing. But it's, the problem is, is that when, 
it gets taken too far. And mm. it doesn't, I'm not picking on, you know, fundamentalists or Christians or anything. I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. All I'm saying is that it can always go too far. Mm -hmm. And when it goes too far, you know, they talk about, you know, terrorists that are Muslims. Well, most Muslims are not terrorists. Mm -hmm. Most Christians are not fanatics. Right. But there's always those mm -hmm. that are. And um, this is a perfect example of that. This is no different than, you know, people talking about the horrible things that one, you know, the one Muslim faction did to another Muslim faction. What's the difference? I mean, sure. these were their own people, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. This, I talked about this not too long ago, but I think it plays out really well in uh, the movie, The Mist. Yeah. When you see absolutely. it kind of happen in real time. Yeah, you can see it happen in the, in the movie. And I think that something like that in real life would definitely happen. Totally. I mean, well, okay, not probably monster giant tentacles coming out of the mist. <laughs> not, not that, that not part. Not that part. <laughs> just what the what was going on between the factions inside the grocery store. Mm -hmm. There were the guys who just did not believe it. It couldn't be real. Mm -hmm. there, there couldn't be anything out there. So we're going to run outside and get eaten. Yep. And then you had the, the, the sane people who just wanted to figure out a way to get out. And then you had a woman who is over there whipping everybody into a religious frenzy. I think that would definitely happen and people even in that movie turn to her so they don't get yeah you know killed or right, whatever exactly. you know like exactly, exactly they didn't how want to but it was better than being what's the alternative used as a sacrifice <laughs> yes. you know so yeah. oh boy know. anyway Crazy stuff that's the salem witch trials uh it is now time for our ghost writer <laughs> segment if you have yeah. a question or comment on a about fun the, note about the world yeah. of the macabre or if you have something you want us to talk about at dead of winter email us at american hauntings podcast at gmail.com this email comes to us from cheyenne it is titled orson wells and other praise yes. <laughs> God damn it, Cheyenne. It says, hello to you fine folk. I just wanted to quickly write in to actually thank Troy, sorry, Cody, for all the Orson Welles shenanigans. It kicked my ADHD brain into new hyperfocus to look for a vinyl copy of the War of the Worlds broadcast, yes. which I've never actually heard in full. Great. I did find an original 1969 copy, and it's fantastic. Moving on from that, I'd like to thank you both for the great show you put out. I'm really enjoying listening to every episode and love the format you use. Can't wait for more of this new season to come out. Thanks for all you both do. Oh, Miss Orson Welles. Cheyenne. I, I don't. Not, I won't bring him back this season. I know. I I wouldn't. I know. We put it in the contract, I do, actually. I, where miss him, I have so. to say the title in a scary voice, and Troy could not bring back Orson Welles. Those were the, our two riders that we had, uh -huh. pretty uh -huh. much. Um, that, that's all I got, man. All right, cool. Cool, cool. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope to see a lot of you this weekend at Dead of Winter. Um, if you are a listener, well... If you're a listener, we're going to know it. We're all going to be sitting down there doing a live show at 1030 in the morning. So yeah. uh, if you're there at 1030 in the morning, we know you're probably a listener. So, uh, but do say hi. Yeah, um, come That'll say be hi. fun. Um, and if you get a chance, leave us a review on iTunes. As, as Cody and I have mentioned many times before, uh, even if you don't listen that way, that's the best way to help the show and to leave us a review. So uh, like and subscribe, as they always say on every corny show. But anyway, um, I want to mention the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash American Hauntings. Uh, we do have uh, bonus episodes of the show. Uh, we've got uh, levels where you can get T-shirts, you get stuff in the mail, all kinds of stuff. Check it out. It really helps us tremendously. Um, there is a reason why the show uh, gets 
better sounding all the time. Uh, it's because of Patreon. That's how we managed to do that. So we, uh, we really appreciate all of our Patreon people. Um, and if you are something we can kind of kick back your direction, if you're interested in any of the books or any of the things we talk about on the podcast, uh, you can go to AmericanHauntings.net, check out the bookstore, and use the podcast discount code PODCAST. And uh, that gives you 10% off anything that you order, any of the merchandise you order from uh, the store. Uh, so that helps us, helps you. And um, anyway, that's it for me. So thanks, man. All right. I'm just going to end it right there. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this episode of the American Hunters podcast this down. was written by Troy Taylor, even this part. And it was produced and edited by me, <laughs> Cody Beck. Not, so I don't know why he complains because he wrote this. Did, did you see I got the telegram thing up on the... I did. I shared it on our, okay, our thing. Yeah. And I was like, I okay. told people, I was like, if you know, you know, and if you yeah. don't, Telegram <laughs> still exists. Yeah. Go find the episode. I don't know when it was or yeah, anything yeah. a long time ago. It's been a million of them. pretty funny. So. Uh, the music, right, ahead, so. music for this season, which is playing in the background right now, is performed by Packy Lundholm. And you can find more about his music and upcoming shows on Twitter, Instagram, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and Facebook. And you can find us on most of those places, too. Plus, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or our podcast see the website <laughs> at americanhauntingspodcast.com for more info about the show notes photos links and more thanks for listening we couldn't wouldn't Wouldn't, i don't i don't want to yeah um do it without you yeah so until next time goodbye so long see you later all right cool that was about yeah 40 minutes or so not bad that was a lot right 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 right